You are listening to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. Well, yet another exciting week in Westminster uh, this week after the launch of the independent group last week. Now we have a new Brexit policy from the Labour Party, or at least so it seems. And on this week's show, we're going to be going over the numbers to see how that might play out, what that might mean for the Labour Party's prospects at a general election, or at least in the opinion polls in the short term. And we're also going to be recapping what we think about the independent group in light of new numbers and talking about some exclusive polling uh, from our guest today. Um, no Leo Barassi, he's been given a week off, uh, well-deserved, but I do have uh, someone uh, equally as qualified to talk about the numbers, and that is a uh, regular on the show, Matt Singh. Matt, welcome back to Polling Matters. Good evening, Kieran. Good to be back. And uh, greetings from the Netherlands, I think it's now official. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. So we are very much... Uh, you know, uh, in the in a single market, frictionless podcasting, all that sort of all that all that sort of thing this week. I, I, I'm I'm going to leave the jokes to one side. I'm I'm not very good at that. It's not that kind of show. Um. Anyway, Matt. I mean, you know, I, I said in the intro there. Um. Interesting week with Labour shifting their Brexit policy. I mean, what was your before we get into the react uh, what the numbers might say? I mean, what was your initial reaction when you heard that? Well, the interesting thing about this is that, in theory, and I emphasise in theory, the this is something that was almost inevitably going to happen, given Labour's position agreed at its conference, that if it couldn't get a general election, uh, that it would shift towards backing a, a second referendum. Now, it's been perfectly clear for several months that, um, that a, getting a general election was not going to be on the cards. They did try a, a no-confidence vote in 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 the government and um that um that failed um so it's it's i mean in theory it's been inevitable but given the the uh shall i say lack of enthusiasm that certainly the labor leadership has shown for it and to be fair some a fair bit of opposition from from elsewhere within the labor party certainly the, the parliamentary labor party and um and obviously uh, elsewhere as well um, it's kind of it hasn't really felt like an inevitability. So, I mean, yes, it it, it appears to have uh, Labour appears to have got there, but um, yes, it's kind of um, it's kind of it's it, it's still been news. It hasn't it hasn't felt inevitable in any way. No, I, th- I think look, let, let, let's cut to the chase on this a little bit. I mean, this feels like the independent group. It's not even a political party yet. Yet it's been one of the most influential. Um, political parties in, a, in such a short space of time that I can ever remember. I mean, Leo and I were talking on last week's podcast, sort of speculating about you know, how they might do if they stand candidates, but also talking about how th- their their biggest achievement might be the influence they have on presumably Labour Party policy or the policies of the other parties generally um, in, in Brexit. And you assume, again, that would be Labour. And it seems like to me, I mean, look, I don't think it's a controversial thing to say, um, it looks like they, they've looked at these defections and they've they thought we can't have any more of those. And of course, Labour's defections aren't just about Europe, but this seems to be a bit of, um, well, political management, to, to put it politely, doesn't it? I mean, it, I don't see how Labour would have changed policy without these defections to the independent group. I think that's right. And certainly, it. it uh, I mean, if you look, I know we'll get into the, the polling on the independent group in a, in a bit, but certainly it seems to be the social liberal um university educated pro eu um 
voters within Labour's um, coalition that that seem to be uh, more attracted to the to the independent group. And so it does kind of it, it sort of fits together, as you say. It is quite difficult to disentangle the Europe issue from the other um, issues that are playing on within Labour, and obviously. There's been uh, more recently. There's been the the, the anti-Semitism thing returning to the fore once again, uh, and and obviously that was something that was um, mentioned at the, um, the the very first press conference from from the after the defections. Um, but yes, I mean it does seem a little bit too much like coincidence, and, and obviously the 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 pressure was um the pressure was mounting because it is getting there is time pressure on the the brexit clock as well so yeah um yes it does it does sort of all fit i mean it feels like to me looking at it it's like the the whether you call them centrists moderates blairites uh, if there's any of them left in the labor plp <laughs> you know, you know, whatever you call them corbyn skeptics they never really had anything over him did they because you know, he was so popular with the membership and we've we've talked about this on this podcast before. You know his position as Labour leader seems insurmountable um, in terms of him being usurped or challenged internally. So it feels like now now they they almost do have something over him more because there's this potential threat of more defections. And I know it's not necessarily. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know who who's who's leading who here in terms of those defections. Um, it feels like yeah, there's some leverage there that perhaps there wasn't. So you know you have to change this policy or this policy because. We, we've got to avoid more people def- uh, defecting to the independent group. Um, let's talk about something the num- about the numbers. Um, let, let's talk about the numbers because that's kind of what we, we're here to do on this show. Um, it's quite hard to disentangle um, Labour's change in Brexit policy from the independent group. But let's talk about the independent group a bit later. I mean, from a polling perspective, where's your instinct in what this does for Labour then? Because uh, you know, we've talked a lot about second referendums and you know whether that's a, a good or bad thing for Labour to do politically. Um, people will have their own personal views on it. Um, what do you think about what are the, what do the numbers say? Well, there are two um, separate strands, I guess, in terms of um, what the numbers say about the impact on Labour. So, one of them is is the support that the independent group takes directly, uh, which 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 we'll come on to. But even if you uh, only take the polls that are not mentioning the independent group, and 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 without them, I mean, I think one or two of them have had a small tick upwards in the the other others but if you look only at the the polls asking about the 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 actual parties that exist at the moment um even there there's some some pretty big uh, conservative leads popping out bear in mind six weeks ago we were talking about how only YouGov um yeah. had the conservatives ahead and everyone else had labor ahead i was being now very vocal about it yeah Absolutely. Yes. And there's been, um, I mean, uh, and in the meantime, obviously, something quite clearly has changed. And the, the Conservatives did get a, a bounce after the uh, the Brady amendments and that vote. But the 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 effect of what's going on around the independent group, and I, I think, as I've said on Twitter a couple of times, the, the focus on the independent group itself has kind of obscured the fact that the last week or two, has actually been pretty bad for Labour in and of itself. Um, that just, I mean, not simply the, the the support of the independent groups taken directly, although that makes things even worse for Labour when you include them, but simply the fact that MPs have gone, um, MPs have raised 
issues around Brexit, uh, for example, and bear in mind that a lot of Labour voters um, are, are remain, and, and that's become increasingly so um, between the last two elections, and uh, talking about uh, anti-Semitism and, and, and various other things. So even if you take the direct effect of the independent group to one side, um, it's still been a pretty bad a uh, couple of weeks for Labour, and that is um, reflecting the polls. Now, I, I have to add the caveat that I always do that polling in the midst of news flow um, is always uh, a little bit risky, but um, we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see where it shakes out. But at the moment, I mean, it, it's a, it, it's clearly not a, a blip. There is clearly something going on. Yeah, and I, I must say, again, we're trying to disentangle things that maybe we can't disentangle. Um, now that the independent group are there... I mean, sorry, Lib Dems. I mean, it's, it's obviously. I mean, it, I mean, it's obviously. I mean, one of the. I will say, as I decide, one of the most fascinating things in in the last sort of two or three years, it has been the failure of the Lib Dems to to cut through. I mean, because <clears> you know, you can say Vince Cable is a man of the coalition, and you know, is not necessarily the person to to lead the fight back or whatever. But you know, he, Tim Tim Farron was the leader before that, and and he didn't cut through either. And obviously, he had his own issues. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing how the Lib Dems have just really struggled, and they do seem to be suffering a lot from the independent group in some of these hypothetical polls that we'll come to. But leaving that to one yep. side, it feels like Labour Remainers now have somewhere to go, or somewhere yes. that they're, somewhere that they're happy to go to. So I mean, I, I was talking to a couple of people in the Labour Party last week about it, and I think yeah, I mean that they had to. I don't know whether this costs them a general election. Um, you know, being seen to try and stop Brexit, if that's you know if that's what they do full-throatedly um but i feel like i don't think they had a choice they had to stop the defections um not just in terms of the mps but in terms of their voters and um this it feels like a way that they can do that um although as i'll say as i'll come to later i still think some of these tig numbers are inflated but yeah i mean the the, the, the obvious question us pollsters will get is you know is, is this going to hurt labor or help them um i'm not sure they had a choice yeah, I, I, I think I'd agree with that. Um, and I mean, certainly in terms of Labour voters having somewhere to go, um, let's not forget that between the Richmond Park by-election and the 2017 election, so that period of, what was that, about six months or so, um, the the I mean, obviously Labour was doing badly and losing votes everywhere, but the Lib Dems had actually been making... Uh, some progress more than than uh, recently and, and got up to got up into the double digits and really until the the problems that they had um that Tim Farron had during the campaign and then the the labor surge the lib dems were doing okay now obviously i think tig has got potential to do more because they don't have the additional issue of all of the the coalition baggage now i've said repeatedly i think the importance of that has been exaggerated but it's not completely made up i mean there are obviously some people who would uh, be very much in the lib dem column in terms of their views but are are you know feel that they can't because of or, or, or don't want to because of the um because of recent history so um this does put um additional pressure on 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 labor i i, I agree i don't think they had too much of a choice, um, and certainly now the 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 threat is not so much from within Labour, but from the risk of um, to use a to use a slightly um, 
clumsy phrase, but uh, splitting the vote, which given how widely, albeit inaccurately, uh, perceived that's, um, that is in relation to the, the SDP, that is something that, um, that's going to that's gonna, um, frighten people in, within Labour. So, um, yes, I, 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 I don't really um, find anywhere to disagree with you on that. Mm. I think... Uh, yeah, I think we'll talk, was, about, uh, talk about the SDP yeah, point very briefly, because uh, yeah. I want to come on to the, the, the polling of the independent group. But, I mean, you had a piece out, didn't you? Was it last week about the SDP? Um, uh, yes, just, just explain what just explain very very briefly to listeners what that was about. Well, uh, yes, yeah, so this was a piece I did for uh, Prospect, just addressing something that has uh, it, it gets talked about from time to time anyway, but it has obviously come to the fore more since the 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 TIG um, breakaway. Basically, it's the theory that um, the the intervention of the the SDP and the surge of the alliance. Um, in 1983, uh, basically split the left and um, gifted Margaret Thatcher a huge uh, 144 majority in, in 1983. Now, I can see why people would think that, given that the SDP defectors, all of them but one, came from Labour. And also, if you looked at the changes in the, the, that 1983 election, the Conservatives were down a point and a half, Labour was down uh, nine and a half points, and then the Alliance were up about, uh, what was I think, 11 or 12 points on what the Liberals got in, in 1979, and that pattern was repeated everywhere. But the fact is, if you look below the surface, it wasn't quite that simple. There was a lot of churn going on. And it also assumes that if the SDP or the, the, the Alliance hadn't been there, that all of those voters would have voted Labour. And Although it's quite the, the counterfactual is hard because you don't know what exactly what the politics would have been, but certainly in terms of what those people said, about half of them said they actually preferred the Conservatives uh, right. to Labour, and then a slightly smaller number, in fact, um, ended up uh, saying that they 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 would have stuck with Labour. So it, had it not been for that, you could actually if you, you actually run the counterfactual through, you basically. Uh, end up getting both of the main parties going up in votes uh, by about the same amount and compared with the actual 1983 result. And when that happens, think 2015, Conservatives and Labour both up, but the um, Lib Dems or Liberals down, that actually helps the Conservatives because they're, they're, they're facing the, um, the, 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 the Liberals in more seats. So in actual fact, the likeliest outcome is that without the split, that Margaret Thatcher's majority would not have been 144, it would actually be more like 180. So even though that's something, um, it's certainly a great line for Labour uh, campaigners to use against people who are thinking of voting Lib Dem or in future maybe TIG, uh, but it's not something that really stands up to scrutiny when you look look back to the, the British election study that year and, and, and what it showed about how Alliance voters really felt about the, the two uh, mm. bigger parties. So let's fast forward, <clears throat> what was it, 35, 36 years, um, and and look at the TIG polling. Yeah. So, I mean, what's your take on some of this? Because, I mean, I think that we talked earlier in this podcast about how Labour has really been put on the back foot by the presence of, you know, you know somewhere for their MPs to defect to and that sort of thing. Someone's finally made the leap. Um, but what about the polls? Because for me, I, I've been a bit... Not a critic because I don't actually I can't, I can't criticize the people that have done the hypothetical polling, but I, I've been 
very keen to point out to people that it, it is hypothetical. And these polls mm. that put um, the independent group in the upper teens are very explicitly done on the basis of um, the question wording prompt- prompting for them. So saying something along the lines of, imagine the independent group was standing in your area along with the Conservatives, Labour and the Liberal Democrats or, or however the wording is, yeah, yeah. How, how would you vote? And that is a decent artificial way of trying to gauge maybe the scale of support they could get, you know, the types of people that might support them, that sort of thing. But I'm not sure it's a very convincing way of, well, at least not convincing me, of their level of support now. If there was a general election tomorrow, let's say, or, or, or the next month, or even a by-election, you know, I think there's a long way to go before the independent group can actually execute on those sorts of numbers. And if people are making decisions on the basis of them being on 18 points or around that mark, then they need to hold their horses a little bit. But I, I'm not, we've not rehearsed this or we've not really talked off air about what, what you think. So keen to get your take on some of their polling. Well, I do largely agree with you. I mean, hypothetical polling hypothetical situations is almost always difficult because people are not very good at... Um, visualizing how they would uh, feel or behave or vote in a hypothetical situation. I don't think it's as hypothetical as some of the more generic um, would you vote for new centrist party with this policy, that policy, whatever, the the sort of thing that we've seen over the last Mm. um, couple of years. I I think it is more concrete than that because you have a set of um, actual people uh, with, I mean, not not policies, but they have been pretty clear about uh, what they stand for, and certainly on the 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 the, the main issue of the day, and uh, clearly one of the main issues for their party on on, on Brexit, it's it's pretty clear. Um, so I don't think it's as hypothetical as some polling, but I, I mean, I would still want to put some um, pretty big. Um, caveats on it um and and the the, the variety of voting intention figures that the different approaches have have produced kind of bears that out mm. um it, i mean it does reflect the different approaches that pollsters have taken but that is that is kind of the point um i know so adam drummond had um sort of included it in a in a normal voting intention question but with a um so not not changing the question but including uh, the, the tig as as one of the the answers uh, and got six percent, and then YouGov, with a a wording along the lines you just described, got eighteen percent. Um, I, I I imagine if they actually if if Tig actually formed a party, then certainly with the 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 increased media attention that will come along with that, they you might think that that would push them up beyond six um, percent. But I mean, it, it's very hard to work out just what the effect of being directly prompted in the question is the way you got are doing it. Um, I agree with you that probably does inflate the support, but um, just as um, you and I didn't rehearse this, the pollsters have never rehearsed this because the only time that this happened in a, in a, in a, in a similar way um, really hasn't been since the, since the SDP and, and, and obviously polling was nowhere near as extensive then. I mean, UKIP had kind of been around for a party, but without any MP. So, I mean, even that's not really comparable. It is very much uncharted territory. And um, But UKIP and took a couple of... Very difficult. I feel like UKIP took years until they were in the prompted list. And, and obviously there was never any polls that said, or oh, I don't remember them being, don't remember there being polls that said, oh, imagine UKIP was standing in your area. You know, how would you vote? Um, 
I don't know. Like, like I say, it's not a criticism. I mean, ultimately, it, it would be a criticism if that was their voting intention numbers, but it's very clearly not. What they're yeah. doing is they're doing their normal voting intention, and alongside that, they're doing this experiment. And they're not the only ones, UCOV, I should say. I mean, others are doing this too, and I think Sky Data did something, and I can't remember who it was uh, last week that we were talking about as well, possibly Servation, um, that when Leah and I were talking about on the last episode. So it's just, I think that maybe the, the poll watchers need to make sure that if they genuinely want to know where TIG are in the polls, like right now, look at the uh, standard voting intention polls that the pollsters are producing, not the hypothetical ones, would be my advice. Um, you know, as you say, Matt, it may very well be that they increase over time, um, but we'll have to see whether that happens or not. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about the European uh, Parliament poll that you had, Matt, uh, to sort of finish up. Um, so... I guess if Article 50 is extended, and we don't know if it will be, but it's a distinct possibility, um, considering the Prime Minister has essentially said now that if her deal doesn't pass, then you can have a vote on no deal, and you assume Parliament rejects that, and then you can have a vote on extending Article 50, um, leaving to one side what votes in Parliament mean versus the real world. Let's assume Article 50 is extended. You've done a poll on a hypothetical... um, well, it's not a hypothetical election; it is happening, but uh, one where Britain goes to goes to the polls in a European election, haven't you? Yeah. So, t- just to be clear on in, in terms of the um, the legal side, of it, I know there's been all sorts of discussion about you know what would happen if you know three month extension or two year extension or whatever the the legal side of it is. I, I haven't um, really dug too much into that. I mean, I, uh, others can do that better than I can. But the the this um, hypothetical poll um or the european election poll is is really just to to um see what people would say at the moment it was done at the same time as the um our last westminster voting intention poll so in january so that that is a good sort of four months before polling day so in terms of uh, how people are feeling um the, the the first question was the the likelihood to vote on the standard zero to ten scale um but this was the the actual wording so imagine that Brexit is delayed and elections to the, in capitals, European Parliament take place before the UK leaves. If elections to the European Parliament were held in the UK, how likely is it that you would vote? And then the usual zero to 10 scale. And 43% said that they are 10 out of 10 certain to vote. As we know, people tend to overstate their likelihood of actually voting. So that would be pretty much consistent with the the sorts of turnouts that European elections always had, sort of local election levels, uh, most likely. Um, the interesting thing on the likelihood to vote numbers is that it's quite a lot higher uh, among Remainers than among Leavers. So 54% of Remainers um, and only 44% of Leavers said that they would be uh, certain to vote. So that is perhaps... Uh, interesting. The, the, the voting intention numbers, which I've come to uh, now, are, are are weighted by likelihood to vote. Um, so there's been all sorts of speculation that, that Britain might send uh, 73 Nigel Farage's or, <laughs> or words to that effect. Um, but um, yeah, so in terms of the voting intention that comes out, Labour are top on 37%. Uh, the Conservatives uh, second on 36%. Obviously, those two well within the margin of error of each other. And because this is a low turnout election, relatively few people are saying they vote that it's a, it's a bigger margin of error than, than usual. 
but those two main parties both up 12 points on the 2014 results. Um, where is that vote share all coming from? As you might have guessed, UKIP. Third place on 10%, uh, which is probably their best poll on anything for the last couple of years, but um, that is down 17 points yeah, long way from, from their winning, were, yeah. sh- uh, winning share in 2014. Um, Lib Dems on eight, that's up only one from their uh, pretty much, e- even by the standards of the coalition years, was a, was a bad election for them. They, they almost lost all of their seats. Um, Greens on five, uh, which is down three, and that would put all of their seats most likely um, at, at risk. So uh, in terms of how it looks overall, it actually looks quite unremarkable you've got the main parties a bit lower than they are in Westminster voting intention you've got the governing party in this case the Tories doing a little bit worse than in Westminster voting intention you've got uh, UKIP doing better I mean 10% is uh, I mean we had them on in the very same poll when we polled Westminster voting intention we had them on 4% so even though they're down a lot they're still clearly doing better in a in a European election as has always been the case so um obviously caveats about how the politics might change uh, in the event that um of article 50 being extended certainly if it leads to european parliament elections in the uk but nevertheless it does look as though it, it as things stand it looks as though it might be a sort of normal european parliament election and not some some um dramatic um event that's mm. that's um but can i ask that did, did yeah. you um did you include tig or the brexit party or how, how did you do deal with that uh well this this was done um just before even the brexit party was formed uh, oh, okay. I think they were formed in late january and this was done between the 10th and the 17th so that decision was actually made um for us, but um, yes, I mean that would certainly be an interesting question because mm. if you if you think about where Tig might want to stand, certainly if there were a European Parliament election, I I I would have thought that would be pretty high on the list of things that are that are what's primarily it seems an anti-Brexit party would um, would want to do, and likewise the the, the Brexit party on the, the pro-Brexit side. Mm. So yeah, it might, it might be one. It's hard to say, isn't it? It might be one if you repeated that like now. Um, that you'd have a different picture, but who knows? Because, yes. like I say, ultimately the enthusiasm is going to be what 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 influences how such an election would go. It would be a weird one, wouldn't it? Because <clears throat> my assumption is that they'd come to some sort of deal that means we don't send MEPs there anyway. Yeah. But if there was to be a campaign, I mean, you imagine, given the disquiet at both major parties, that there would be an opportunity for the outsiders, as it were, to to come in and, and do very well. But, you know, who, who knows? Um, Let's leave it there for this week, uh, Matt. Um, you know, thanks for joining us. Um, that, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please do share us on social media and uh, on sort of various channels and tell your friends about us and all that sort of thing. It does help spread the word about the podcast and get us new listeners. Uh, and if you're interested in, in something new next week, uh, we should have a former advisor to Blair and Brown, Theo Bertram, coming on to talk a bit about, yes, the polls, but also about his experience uh, in politics and what he makes of the current situation. So, uh, so a new voice uh, on the on the show. Hopefully, that will be uh, something of interest to people. Uh, but for now, um, thanks very much for tuning in, and have a great week. <laughs>